The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. My phone just died on me, so I'm using my watch up here. So if the watch dies, you just get a super long sermon today, all right? So just hold on to your hats. We'll get there. We're actually changing it up a little bit today. If you've been with us, we've been in the book of Mark, but I'm going to ask you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. That'll be up on the screen as we do. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. We're going to be looking at this morning seven reasons to give generously as we do. But before we get there, as you're turning, I just want to give a couple quick announcements for you. We didn't do that at the start. Uh, the men's dinner has been pushed back from last night until this coming Saturday. Uh, we seem to have done that the last couple months with weather, so hang on to your hats. Next Saturday, 6.30 p.m. men will be here for our monthly men's dinner. And uh, the second thing is, uh, Awana is still scheduled to be on, assuming we don't get a storm on Tuesday into Wednesday, because we've missed the last nine of 12 weeks due to Awana, uh, weather at Awana on Wednesdays. And finally, as mentioned earlier, uh, at the very close of service, we're going to have a chance to pray for uh, Brother Nathan, Sister Elizabeth, uh, I don't think I've ever used those formal titles, but now pastor and pastor's wife, as it is, as they get ready to leave this uh, next weekend, uh, next week, to go up to Tecama, Nebraska, uh, to pastor First Baptist Tecama. So at the close of service, we'll have a time just to pray up front together before we close. So we look forward to that time. And uh, guys, uh, you can keep all the snow four hours north. Don't bring it back. You're welcome anytime, but it stays up there, right, as we do. Yes. You're so excited for more snow, aren't you, Elizabeth? I know you are. Amen. All right. Well, how many of y'all remember, uh, some of y'all weren't even alive when this came up, but there is a guy by the name of Jim Baker. Does this name ring a bell with anybody? Yes. Some of y'all are shaking your heads uh, like the tomahawk chalk there for a second. Well, it'll come up on the screen in a second, but it pays to give. But if you only give because it pays, it will not pay. This is Jim Baker back in the late 80s. He was a popular tele-evangelist. You may remember these guys. There's still a program around that he started called Praise the Lord. It's on local channel 16 KTAJ out of St. Joe. And after this, they, he basically embezzled millions of dollars. After this, he fell from glory, spent time in prison, and then he got his second wind in Branson, by the way. Oh, come on. That's a bad joke, guys. It, Bran he's, he's in Branson. So if you want a second chance, you go to Branson. And now he's healed. He's ready to go. He's all back. But he wrote an autobiography called I Was Wrong. But at the height of his day, he was a multimillionaire living in huge houses with big cars, everything else, because he said, if God tells you to give a million dollars, you give a million, he'll give you three. He's one of his famous quotes. I don't know who he was talking to. Most people don't even ever see a million, let alone get that much money. But Christianity is more than what's in your bank account. In fact, it's more about what's in your heart than anything else. But finances is an indicator of what is happening. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also, right? And it pays to give. People have different reasons for doing these things, but the Bible teaches that we are to give by principle, practice, and promise. And so let me ask you, why did you come today? 
I know our church well. I don't think this theology exists, but some people come for godly reasons, and I would say the majority of us have. Some come for trivial reasons, and some are just plain wrong, but I bet you none of you came today to, for this reason, because no one comes to church and say, I can't wait to go to church and give my hard-earned money up to the church, right? <laughs> oh, guys, you are really slow today. Come on now. You ever feel that way? When you get to church and they say, it's time to give. There's that little humanness inside you that makes you sweat just a little bit. And what's the pastor preaching on today? Finances. Ooh, get back in Mark, pastor. Stay away from that one, right? But it pays to give. And one thing we know is that what could we give to our heart more than these words? That my grace is sufficient for you and I will take care of you, what God said to us. And friends, I want to tell you today, if your life doesn't echo with a thunder of generosity, then you've not been struck by the lightning of God's grace is our big idea today. If, if your life doesn't echo with generosity in how you give to the Lord, not only financially, but in every area of life, then you've not been struck with the lightning of his grace. If you're waiting to have more money to practice generosity, you won't practice it then either. It's kind of like when you say, yeah, I'm going to go run a mile. And then you get out five steps, and you're like, man, that was really hard. I'm going to go back and sit down. Amen? That's how it goes. Or I'm going to go to the gym every day is my New Year's resolution. I'm going to keep going. Is anyone still going to the gym every day? What, Lori, you just, you just max it out, Lori. Not every day, but close enough. If you want fitness advice, go to Lori. But be generous now with what you <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, Lori, I love you. I've known you too long not to, but we will go to you for advice. But be generous now with what you have because if and when you get more, be even more generous. And those who are drenched with the gospel, grace, gospel generosity everywhere they go. Seven reasons to give generously. We will spend our major time on the first two points. But generous giving is self-interested. Ooh, that'll peak your ears, won't it? It's about you in some sense because it's about God in that sense. We're going to see that giving is God-pleasing. It's confident. It brings praise from other people. It's assuring of your salvation. Oh, did I tie those together? Yes, I did, because the Scripture does. It cooperates with the gospel, and it is evangelistic. We're going to look at these things today. Now, we're in the midst of a, a standalone sermon, but Paul is appealing to the saints at Corinth, and he's, he's, he's pleading with them to, to collect an offering to give to the needy saints in Jerusalem. There's a big need at that time, a big famine going on. And, and Paul is going to talk about money. And yet, Paul doesn't actually use that word in these chapters, ironically enough. He does not command the saints to give, but he offers them a spiritual motivation for generous giving. And in doing that, he's going to tell you it pays to give. It pays to give. You see, we live by dying, we lead by serving, and we receive by giving. So why do people do what they do with their money, including myself? It's a great question because Paul's going to arrest our attention with these things this morning. On a snowy day, on an ice-filled day, on a cold day, would you join me in standing for God's word this morning? Outside of Mark, inside of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. Seven reasons to give generously, and uh, they're very straightforward, but uh, necessary passage this morning. The point is this. Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He's given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry, verse 12, of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. But their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, following from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace God has upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible, indescribable gift. Guys, as I come to this sermon, I want you to know the motivation here is not for you, and we'll get into this in the sermon, it's to dig deeper into your pockets necessarily. The, the motivation for the sermon is not to have you feel guilty walking out of here because you didn't give a dollar more to the offering plate. The motivation here as your pastor is to tackle topics once a month, to break up Mark, but also to look at a topic that's often so misunderstood and misconstrued that even good Bible-believing folks like ourselves would be remiss to remember what the Scripture says. So that's what I want to do today. I hope that makes sense. This isn't a plea for you to go write down your bank account stuff and give it to us. That would just be weird in some sense, unless God directs you to do that. But at the same time, I want you to know our motivation here is to learn God's word together. Does that make sense? This is not a plea like a televangelist, but it is a plea for us to grow greater in the grace and knowledge of Christ on a hard and necessary topic. I hope you hear that this morning. Will you join me in prayer as we start? Father, thank you so much. Thank you for sometimes, Lord, just going over basics for some, reminders for others. But yet at the same time, for many, perhaps in this room, Lord, uh, a fresh look at what the Bible says about giving uh, not just financially, although that's the main thrust, but also the giving of ourselves as you gave freely, as the scripture just said, to us, Lord, for your glory. Thank you for our time together. Father, we pray these things. May you move me out of the way. May you speak, Lord. You can speak through a donkey, Lord. I pray you can speak through this, this uh, feeble man that I am. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and, and the first thing, and again, we're going to spend our first couple points with the main thrust because this is the most familiar to it. But the first thing I want to look at is that, is that generous giving is self-interested. Now, before we get into that, I, w- I just want to say it's self-interested in that it benefits us. We sow generously so we can reap generously. Now, that sounds like the prosperity gospel that uh, I was joking with the ladies in the nursery this morning that I was watching the Weather Channel on Channel 9, and and before I could click on the weather this morning, uh, Joel Osteen's face popped up and smiled at me. And at 9 o'clock, you can turn him on every Sunday, but no, you're going to be in a Sunday school class or doing something else at 9 every Sunday. Don't go down that road. But this sounds like the prosperity gospel, and those who use this verse to push that gospel misunderstand and misuse verse 9. But doesn't it say, Pastor, very clearly, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly? It does. And it comes from the same fact that Proverbs 11 talks about, that the more crops come from using more seed. The more you throw the seed, the more you're likely to grow, even if you're not a green thumb like most of us are not. Fanny Barnes were here. She could tell us how to do that very, very well. But the Bible has no ironclad promises of physical prosperity. The Bible has no promises about the American dream. 
The Bible has no promises is that if you get your education right and all these things, that God's going to pour out the heavens and bless you so much that you're going to have your own Lamborghini. That worked out pretty well for Joseph, didn't it? Joseph lived faithfully before God for 17 years, and in 13 years he was in prison after prison after prison, and God raised him up for the saving of a nation. But our desire should be for a larger harvest. We sow generously financially to reap God's glory. And that's why we have to pray every year, church, that we increase our missions budget every single year. Uh, I talked with our missionaries in Poland. I talked with our three missionaries in India this week. And, and that's what they keep saying to, to us, give, give, because there's so much work that is happening here around the world. So what's the point? The point is, is that the farmer, like this picture, goes out with the seed, doesn't he? And he takes the seed and he throws it everywhere. And as he throws it, he doesn't wrestle with how much he's going to plant. He will plant as much seed as he can. But the farmer has no guarantees that what he's throwing out there is actually going to grow. No matter how much miracle grow you got, no matter how much stuff you have, this is what it is. He will plant as much seed as he can. The farmer has no guarantees about the future. There may be a famine in the land. The devourers may devour the harvest. But he sows as much seed as he can afford. He doesn't plant as little seed as he can. He throws it out there as widely as he can to all the ground to take care of. And his concern is not what will happen if he sows bountifully in an unfruitful season. His concern is what will happen if he sows sparingly and the ground produces plentifully. It's kind of like that servant in the, in the parable of the talents who held back his talent from, from the master when he went away. You remember that story? Jesus gave them each a certain amount of talents, and that one servant hid it and, and buried it, and he was the one who was condemned. It's an opportunity missed, and that's the thing that is missed often in this verse. The question is not, as you'll see on the screen, the question is not, should I tithe based upon my net income or my gross income? Now, if you know the difference between those two, you're really, really smart, by the way. But that's not the question. The simple answer seems to be, which one do you want God to bless? Note the option in verse 6 is not between giving and not giving. Look back at verse 6, guys. He tells you it's either you're going to sow sparingly, you're going to go bountifully, or you're going to give bountifully or reap bountifully. There's a real sense, and I want to be clear on this, there's a real sense in which we can determine how much God will bless. Now, let me be clear. We cannot dictate to God what he'll do with our lives. God is God, and we're not, right? We know that. But we can participate in the future blessings by giving back what he's given to us. We receive the blessings of God sparingly or bountifully by how we give to God. So the question is not, do I go out of my net income, my after-tax income, or my gross income? The question is, are you giving? That's really the question that's before us. And Let's be honest, you cannot outgive God, right? He gave you Jesus Christ, the God man, for your sins. You can't outgive him. But this is not a go get rich Ponzi uh, Amway type of scheme. This is, or, or those, golly, uh, I had a friend post on Facebook this week. This is a little side, it's related. He said, Give me all the work at home opportunities you got. And all the moms who sell those, those lotions and all the things, if you've seen on Facebook, come on, you, you on Facebook know what I'm talking about, right? They're like, they sell these lotions that cure all things. He had 50 posts within an hour because those moms are trying to get another person to sign up to get rich quick, right? Oh, come on. You know this happens all the time. 
But the farmer doesn't just scatter the seed. He claims his blessing, and he walks away with a harvest in his hands, and he labors, and he trusts, and he waits. But if he does all that he can do, the Lord will do all that he cannot do. This is how God works in the lives of those who give generously. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. There's a story of a farmer that uh, uh, was once well-known for his generosity, and uh, his friends came to him and said, hey, dude, we can't understand. Why are you so able to do it? How do you do it? And he said, they said, you give far more than any of us, and yet you always seem to have more to give. And the farmer replied, that's easy. I keep shoveling into God's bin, and God keeps shoveling back into mine, and God has the bigger shovel. And that is how it works. God has the bigger shovel that is ours. And this is what we know. So that is self-interested giving. You give so God can bless that giving. Second thing I want you to see, verse 7, about giving is that it is God-pleasing. It is God-pleasing. Look back at verse 7. God cares about the motivation of why you give. He says in verse 7, Paul writes, Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that is the truth. So what do we know about this? We know that a secularist would see God as one who is always pleased. However, the Bible says that God is not always pleased. He looked at us and he saw us and he saw that we were sinners. He's holy, holy, holy. He was not always pleased with us. His holiness is pleased by cheerful giving, not giving under obligation. Let me be very, very clear. Church, you are under no obligation to give to this church. Oh, boy. And all the financial team just took a deep breath. (laughs) The point is, is that nowhere in the New Testament is commanded for you or I to give a tithe of any sense. Did you know that? That may shock some of you. There's nothing in the New Testament that says you must give 10% of your income. However, tithing is larger than what came out of the Old Testament. The standard for giving is actually higher than the Old Testament 10% giving of the Old Testament. We're told to give cheerfully. We're told to give not out of compulsion, but because we want to. We get to. It's like some of you guys who went on a Valentine's date this week. Man, I got to take my wife out for dinner. Oh, spare the thought. This is terrible. It's dreadful. I'd rather watch the Chiefs lose again to the Patriots. But if you're really a good husband, you went to that play, you went to that dinner, you did whatever you did because you love her, don't you? It's like when you come home from a long trip and you kiss like Frank Gable did in Gone with the Wind. It was Frank Gable, right, I think, in Gone with the Wind. Clark Gable, wow. I don't think we've gotten any louder response out of you guys in a long time. Wow. But Clark Gable landed a kiss on his, 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 uh, his girlfriend there at the very end, and boy... You kiss your wife like that, and she said, where'd that come from? And he, you pull out your manual on page 131 of the Good Husband Manual. It says, after a long trip, you're supposed to passionately kick your, kiss your wife like Clark Gable did. Your wife would slap you across the face and send you to the doghouse. That's what it would be. In the New Testament, it is that way. You don't come, I got to give because I got to give because the church says I got to give because that's what the pastor says got to pay bills. You give because you can give cheerfully as you want to give. Do you see the difference? Paul wants the Corinthians in the passage to understand they have the opportunity to bless these believers in Jerusalem. 
Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received and freely you give. And the word cheerful, as many of you know, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, means hilarious. What could you give God that you aren't giving? God just laughs and says, try me out. See what happens. Give freely because God loves a cheerful giver. And I want to walk through these here. First, he says, give intentionally. You see that there? Each one must decide in his heart. It means that you decide beforehand what you're going to give. You purpose to do it. It means practically, let me be very practical, before you get to church, you should determine in your heart what you will give. Your giving should be an intentional decision rather than some thoughtless, oh, man, here comes that plate, golly jeepers, what is it here, here it is, and throw it in there. I don't have any cash to show you, so just take it as a, a visual example. But sometimes we come to the time of giving and we say, well, God understands this is all I have left. But that's not God's fault, guys. God gave you what you started with. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul said on the first day of the week, each of you, speaking to the Corinthians, should put something aside and store it up so you may prosper. There are fundamental instructions for us, guys, and we should intentionally lay aside to give the God and then store it up as we give. But he says, secondly, in the verse, he says in verse 7, give willingly. Give willingly. Not under compulsion, but give willingly. Look, there are three kinds of givers. There's the flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. If you hammer a flint, you're only going to get chips and sparks, right? But to get water from a sponge, you know what you have to do. You've got to squeeze it, and you pressure it, and the more you pressure it, the more you get it out. But the honeycomb just overflows with sweetness. God wants you to be, guys, and wants us to be at this church like that honeycomb. He, he wants you to give with an overflowing heart of gratitude. Not because I have to do that. Why sign that church covenant statement? It said I got to give. And if I, if I don't do that, then I'm in sin. Well, look, if that's your attitude, you've got bigger problems. Our attitude should be, Lord, Lord, maybe it is only this amount. And that's fine. But, Lord, may I give it to you cheerfully because you gave everything to me with joy that was set before you. Pastors can pray. Pastors can instruct. We can command. We can beg. We can hold you upside down and give you a swirly and get all those coins and cards out of your wallet. But the fact is you are still free to choose whether you give or not. And again, the finance committee went, <gasps> no one can make you give, guys. And if you're forced to give, God doesn't want it, quite frankly. The church may accept a coerced offering, but God doesn't really want one penny that you'd rather keep for yourself. Can I put it that way? On another hand, if you have nothing to give but you're willing to give, God will accept your readiness as a generous offering. Chapter 8, verse 12, you can read it with me. Uh, 2 Corinthians says this. It says, for if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what the person has, not according to what the person does not have. God wants you to give willingly. And verse 7 says the importance of giving willingly, he also gives two negative examples here. It says not only should you give willingly, but you should not give reluctantly. Should not give reluctantly. Look back at verse 7. He says reluctantly, and this verse simply means you should not give out of sorrow. We've all been there, haven't we? You've given something to someone because you knew you had to give a gift, but you knew you really didn't want to give them that gift because you really liked that gift. It's called regifting. <laughs> Happens every year at your house during Christmas time and around birthday times. Reluctantly. God does not want you to give with reluctance, resistance, or resentment. You know, we often hear from the pulpit, give until it hurts. That's not a God philosophy. 
if it's going to hurt you, God says don't give it. This is not a loophole that excuses selfish living and stingy habits. If your giving produces sorrow in your heart, you should be more concerned about your spiritual giving than what enters that plate as it passes by or online through our online system. I mean, when you go to a doctor and get a checkup and they ask you, does it hurt? And they poke and prod and they say, how about this? If you cry out in pain, one of two things is going to happen. Either the doctor has pushed too hard or there's something wrong with you, right? And the doctor is going to say, well, we better do some more tests It's not supposed to hurt like that right there if they're a good doctor. And so it is with giving in the church. Either the preacher has pushed too hard or there's something wrong with you, and in that case, you need the great physician to heal you. It's not supposed to hurt there. If you're giving and you're doing it reluctantly just because you have to, and that's what a good Christian does, check your heart at the door. I love you, fellow Christian. And I'm pointing all fingers back to myself. God says, don't do that. He also says, don't do it under compulsion. Did you see that? It means to be in between a bent arm. It means if the pastor comes up to you, and and, uh, we've been at churches before where they have the line, and you walk up front, and everyone sees you drop the money into the plate. I know you all know what I'm talking about. And they do that. And if you don't have money, you feel awkward, so you you scramble and you grab a dollar from someone because you don't want to be that guy without putting something in the plate. But he says, don't give under compulsion. God does not want you to give out a compulsion, manipulation, or intimidation. God doesn't want your sweaty money. God wants you to have money you've been sweating, holding on so tightly to that the money has become sweaty. That makes sense. God does not mind you holding your material possessions in high esteem, in high esteem, but you must hold them with an open hand because you never know when he asks you to give them back and you don't want to fight that fight with God. He wants you to give willingly. And finally, joyfully. I told you these first two points are our main thrust. But God loves a cheerful giver. Wouldn't it be awesome if we just put up the helium tanks every Sunday when the giving started? That would be quite a funny show, wouldn't it? It would be really hilarious. That's not what it's talking about here, of course. But God loves a cheerful giver. Literally hilarious. Giving should be fun. God, take this. Let it ride as far as the, your, your providence would have it. And it should be our joy to give for the glory of God, the work of the ministry, the needs of the poor, the needs of the church, the needs of other believers. God doesn't want sad believers who grudgingly are mad givers who give out of necessity. God wants glad givers who give joyfully, thankfully, and cheerfully. I mean, come on. How do you know the difference between a non-Christian and a Christian? I mean, frankly, attitude sometimes really matters. Does God love you, Christian? Yeah, but he wasn't there when I did this and did that. You know what? We're all going to go through days like that as a Christian. One of the greatest evidences that you know Jesus Christ is you have joy in Jesus even when things are tough. When you give to the church, you're not really giving to the church. You're giving to God through the church. Your offering is an act of worship. Just like 1 Corinthians 16, they sat aside each week to give to the work of the Lord. You know, there's a story of a family who gave a sizable contribution to the church in memory of their son who died in war. Uh, As far as I can tell, this seems not to be one of those pastor-made-up stories that make you feel bad and make a point. It's not a proverbial one. seems to be correct, but when the announcement was made about this donation, a woman whispered to her husband, and she said, let's give the same amount for our boy. And her husband said, what are you talking about? Our our boy wasn't killed in combat. What What do you mean? And he said, 
that's not the point. Let's give an expression of our gratitude to God for sparing his life. And friends, this ought to be the same attitude we have when we give to God. We ought to give cheerfully because God loves a cheerful giver. But here we find an awkward, powerful means of experiencing the love of God. We give cheerfully. We give cheerfully. Now that you're ready to pull out your pocketbooks, let's go on to number three. Amen? I want you to see this. And friends, before we get there, I want you to know that I realize that those last few phrases, and I wrote those intentionally this week, may step on some of your toes. It stepped on mine. But in your giving to this church financially, if it is under compulsion because you got to, because you have to, friend, check your heart. Because where one light goes off, you're going to be back in the, the, the check engine light world once again. Check your heart. Jesus didn't bless the Pharisee who gave all the money and had all the parade. He blessed the little widow who gave the smallest blessing because her heart was set in the right place. She gave all that she had in that sense. Number three, I got to hurry. Number three, but notice there is also confident giving. Giving generously is confident. Verse 8 and verses 8 through 10 says this, uh, And God is able to make grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all everything at every time, you may abound in every good work. Verse 8 uses that word abound twice, and God makes all grace abound when you give in every good work. The Lord blesses you to make you generous so you can give generously. That's what it's about. But I want you to know that God measures generosity not by the size of gifts, but by the size of the sacrifice. We don't give to receive. We receive to give more. That's what it's about. And as Christians, we understand that, that God's blessings in our lives should be like a river, not a reservoir. God blesses you to make you a blessing to others, doesn't he? And God will soon stop blessing to you if you cannot send a blessing to others. Our lives have been transformed because Christ has saved us. He's raised us. And so we desire to give generously to others. If you're a Christian and you don't give anything, can I ask you, why, why do you call yourself a Christian? Jesus said in Acts, and, and this is quoting Paul, as he quoted what he heard from the disciples, it is better to give, Jesus said, than to receive. It isn't a promise of prosperity, but how would your giving Christ's work compared to your entertainment budget? Seriously. How would giving to the Lord compare to what you spend on personal hobbies? Now, please hear me clearly. All things to God's glory, right? But if our giving is giving in a way that is such that we spend more money on things that don't matter in this world in the end, to God's glory perhaps, then maybe we do need to check our hearts. You say, well, Darren, you said it's not the size of the gift. That's right. But have you prayerfully considered every line of your budget at your home under your personal expense? And I thank God for our finance team, Jeff and Ann, and I'm probably missing some, Karen, Verlene, Patsy, Richard, uh, all you folks who are on the team who did this last year for our church. Thank you, guys. Thank you for prayerfully considering everything that was requested before you. That's tough work. Have you done that for your family, for yourself? You know, suppose something important was given to you, and you wrap it up and hand it to the FedEx guy uh, or the UPS guy, and, 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 and you think that instead of delivering the package, and, and you, he says to him, so I'm just going to take this home and keep it for myself. And you say, this guy doesn't get it. That package didn't belong to him. That's going to Grandma Maple out in, in, in there. You're just the middleman, dude. Go deliver the package. His job is to get it from me to Grandma, and I want him to hand it off. 
And so too, guys, just because God put his money in our hands doesn't mean he intends for it to stay there. The great Puritan Richard Baxter, this guy's really, really old. Dave, he's one of those old dead guys. He said that he ordered his giving in this way. He gave to natural necessities, food, shelter, things that had to happen, to his children, his family, to public necessities, giving taxes, rendering unto Caesars. Then he ordered his giving into the godly poor, the needs within the church, then to worldly poor, and then to conveniences. And I looked at that this week and said, oh, golly, we've got a lot of work to do at home. That's hard. It's hard to do. But how would our budget measure up to those criteria? Now, I'm not saying be like Richard Baxter, but I would ask you, have you considered your budget at home? Some of you are living paycheck to paycheck. Praise God for the provision. But even within that, have you trusted God that he would use that for his glory, however he sees fit and however he leads you? Number four, not only is generous giving self-interested, it's God-pleasing, it's confident. These are short points, but it is also praise-provoking. Look at verses 11 to 13. We're going to go through this quickly. Verse 11 says this, it says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way with which through God will produce thanksgiving to himself. Generous giving is confident that giving is right. When you give, what you are doing is you are basically provoking the praise of God in the, in the lives of other people. Isn't that crazy? It literally means the word here in verse 12, uh, if you go on, it says the ministry of service Literally, the liturgy of your life means that when you give, you are actually causing other people to praise God. Isn't that awesome? When you give faithfully, whatever that is for you, you are causing other people to look and say, wow, praise God that this person is taking an obedient step of faith. Maybe I can do that as well. We give generously. It's, it's pleasing to God, but in our obedience, it produces an avalanche of good. I mean, come on, you know this happens in real life, right? When someone stands up for what's right, often those people who are on the sidelines will be like, oh, yeah, that guy can do it, I can do it too. Or, or someone go, does something extraordinary, and they're just a regular person. I, I'm not a basketball fan, but I love the guy Muggsy Bogues. So this goes back about 20 years. He was five foot three. Some of y'all remember this guy, don't you? He was five foot three, and this guy would go around the big Shaquille O'Neal's of his day, and he would just make it work. And he was so popular for 20 years in the NBA because if five foot three Muggsy Bogues could almost slam dunk on Shaquille O'Neal at seven foot five, then maybe I can do it too. And all the hospital people started treating back injuries and ACL injuries and everything else after that fact. <laughs> but there's something about when someone does something extraordinary, you think, I can do that too. Generous giving doesn't have to be financial. When you step up in this church and say, I want to serve in this way, you're going to rally other people to do that as well. Generous giving simply means that you're sharing what God has given you to bring him praise first. It's all about Christ first. But a byproduct of that is that other people get encouraged to stand up for what God has called them to. When that happens, it's amazing. When one of you shares your faith and you tell, man, I shared my faith, and man, they rejected me, that causes other people to go out and say, maybe I can do that too. How much more with our giving? Number five, I told you I got to hurry, and I do. Number five, generous giving is also assuring. Look at verse 13. 
first part of verse 13, by their approval of this service, by the Corinthians giving to the Jerusalem saints, they will glorify God because of your submission following from your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just as faith without works is dead, so are works without faith. Generous giving assures us and others the reality of professing Jesus Christ. Giving generously is a validation of the work of Christ in your life. We know that salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, but we also know the Bible teaches that our faith is confirmed by what we do, isn't it? That's a clear distinction. That's what separates us, to be quite frankly, that's what separates us, guys, from uh, Roman Catholicism. It's what separates us from every other religion is that when we go by faith alone to Christ alone, it's nothing on us. It's all on him. But how much more that Protestants, sometimes we get saved by faith alone, but we just check that box and say, I'm good for eternity, and we never live it out. And that's where other faiths put us to shame at times. For example, what does the testimony of your checkbook say about your faith or your mint.com app? Or your bank account statement. If, I don't know how you guys do this. If we took a poll, it's probably half and half in this, this, this thing. But in the Gospel of John, we read that Christ laid down his life for us. And following his example, these Greek Christians in Corinth were laying down their lives by giving financially to help the other poor people there in Jerusalem. Something that would never have happened outside of salvation. They were proving their confession. They were reassuring their faith that they were in Christ because they gave faithfully to the work of Christ. Number six, generous giving also cooperates with the gospel. This is a quick point. Promise we'll go quickly. Generous giving cooperates with the gospel. Look at the end of verse 13. He says not only does it prove your confession, but it shows, and he says, the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. You should give for the sake of fellowship. You should. You give because you're cooperating with the gospel. The Corinthians gave because they loved Christ. Together, they were not going to get together because they were Jews and Gentiles, but they were giving faithfully. When you give to the church, you support missionaries around the world. You support uh, Awana. You support youth. You support these grounds, which, by the way, if you like to ride a, mo a, a, a lawnmower, we got a couple guys in here who would be gladly put you in a saddle. So talk to us afterwards. There's a lot of grass to be mowed in a couple months, believe it or not. But when you give, you're giving to help the helpless. We, we have a benevolence ministry here that uh, our deacons help run three miles around our church so that when someone calls the church and says, hey, I need, have this need, we can pinpoint it within our community so that they not only get a physical need, but they hear the gospel. When you give, it blesses things like that. And it cooperates with the gospel. Talk to one of our missionaries, and I can't say their name if, if you're curious, one of our ones in India this week, and he said, you know, he said, I could not be here unless churches gave the way they gave. Thank God. Thank you for sending me. Thank you for providing for me. Because they are seeing work done in missions and areas that they've never seen work done in missions and areas. Praise God for that. Many of you have family members serving overseas. Praise God for that. Lastly, and I'll close with this, giving is not only cooperates with the gospel, it's also evangelistic. Look at verses 14 and 15. It is evangelistic. He says, while they long for you, these, these saints in Jerusalem pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible, indescribable gift. Guys, when you give, it is evangelistic. Your giving is evangelistic because it allows the greatest news to go forth. 
Look, if we had no budget, if we had no building, if we had to meet in a barn somewhere, praise God, might be a little bit cold, but it's okay because we're giving so that we can go forward with the gospel. I praise God that as you're giving, that this last year, not only did you give financially church so faithfully, thank you, but you also gave the gospel faithfully. The gospel was shared by our church directly, fully, over 315 times to people outside of these walls. That's awesome. Thank you for being faithful. What God has done for us in Christ is indescribable. And what the gospel is doing is it's showing that not only are our lives and our finances not about us, it's about Jesus Christ. So friends, this morning, I don't know what this leaves you with. If you came today and you're giving faithfully and you're giving not out of compulsion, but willingly, praise God for that. If you're here today and, and, and you're giving, but it's begrudgingly, check your heart. If, if you need to go home this afternoon and on the Lord's Day and say, Lord, this is our budget, not just to give to Tower View, but maybe other like-minded ministries. Lord, what is it out of this that I can do? What, what can we do? Can I drink one less of this or one less of that? Can, can I not go to CC's for one week or, or, or not pick up the extra bottle of, uh, uh, of grape juice at the store? Lord, I'm going to buy Always Saved and Aldi instead of Starbucks and Price Shopper. I really stepped on your toes. Guys, I don't know what it is for you, but would you prayerfully consider, say, Lord, I want to be all these things. Lord, I want to be what you have for me. And let me just give this list for you one more time. And this is so straightforward. But when you give, you are giving not only generously, but your giving is self-interested. It is also very much a desire of God to see his church grow. It's God-pleasing, it's confident, it's praise-provoking, it's assuring, cooperates with the gospel as evangelistic. As your pastor, thank you for giving faithfully. Thank you for giving faithfully. May God bless the faithful giving of his saints for the proclamation of his gospel all around. We join me in prayer as we close out today. Father God, as we come before, we just want to thank you so much for this time. Father, as we come, we want to thank you that we have the ability to give, Father, because you have given to us. Not only financially, although that certainly is the, the aim of this, this passage we read, but Father, also in so many ways, Lord, we thank you that we can give back to whatever it is, whether it be acts of service, Lord, or whether it be other things as such. Father, be glorified, be lifted high. Lord, you are good to us. We thank you for this. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. amen. I ask you to stand with us as we get ready to close. And uh, as we close today, I want to have uh, the King family come. and.